1986. The plot okay. of the paper and the place we end up has just finished its run in theaters and is careening towards an upcoming VHS release. Now, by this time, as you know, you and I know well and everyone knows well, the fandom behind these movies were a huge cult phenomenon all their own. Mm-hmm. And two fans, by the names of Lloyd and Joyce Weber Fontaine, saw the landmark of the final film's release as an opportunity to take the fandom behind the Marmoset Chronicles to the next level. And that level was the Marriott Convention Center in Edison, New Jersey. Kirsten, I am so excited to join you, cosplaying in spirit, to talk about Marmocon, the inaugural Marmoset Chronicles convention, and all of the strange convention-related happenings thereafter. I'm so excited. Hell yeah! How are you doing today, Kirsten? I'm pretty good. Um, I've had, I've had, uh, kind of an interesting week. I, um... Uh, finally snapped and took a buzzer to my hair. Um, oh, really? How 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 short? When you say buzzer, do you mean that you are currently a hairless person? No, no. Or do you um, simply okay? Uh, no, I just I, I use like a like a, a two on a clippers on most of my head, except there's a little bit on top that's still long. Fair enough. I really um a bit. I, you know what I did? I did the um the uh just just realized I'm a lesbian haircut. Does that make sense? <laughs> It does. <laughs> yes, I did. I did the just realized I'm a, I'm a lesbian uh, haircut, even though my own sexuality realization happened when I was like 17. So I'm way past that. I, I did. I did do the. I did do the realized I'm queer, cut my hair thing, but not to this extent. Mm-hmm. Did, you know, I I know you've shown me photos of you with long hair, mm-hmm. but I still cannot picture it. Yes, I had long I, hair for a very very long time. I, I had long I hair think... until I was 17. I think my photo of you in my phone is you as a child with long hair. Yeah, there it is. There you are with long hair and a mm-hmm. very funny hat. Yes. Uh, but, like, I still can't picture you that way. And I haven't seen... You and I haven't seen each other in person in quite some time. But yeah. I imagine we probably have very similar hairstyles at the moment. Because um, how you just described getting your hair cut or cutting your own hair is similar to what I get at my local barbershop. Yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll send you a picture, but... Uh, Do not feel obligated. <laughs> Listener, uh, whatever the length of your hair or the length of your spirit of passion for the Marmoset Chronicles, welcome to another episode of the Marmoset Chronicles, a personal retrospective. Fuck, man. S- speaking of hair and, you know, clothes and costumes in general, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things, just to do- dive right into this. Okay. Wh- one of the things that fascinates me the most about Marmocon and the, like, sort of convention circuit presence of the Marmoset Chronicles uh-huh. is, like... The, the fact that it is maybe the least cosplayable thing to ever get to this level of pop yes. culture, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think it's up there. Uh, other than, like, you know, like, like The Godfather or... But you're not seeing The Godfather at Comic-Con, you know? Well, maybe now if you got, like, a, I don't know, a reboot with Robert Downey Jr. and Jordan Gozo- Gordon Lezzett. I... Uh, Jordan... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that's the man, you know, the man with the face and the three names. <laughs> I first, first of all, I need to tell you that my soul died at the idea of rebooting The Godfather. Uh, second, yes, this is definitely, like, there's not much, like, nerd fandom that you just can't dress up as. The, the yeah. other one, I guess, would be, like, like, from Dusk Till Dawn, like, Robert Rodriguez movies. Like, sure. yeah. stuff that we- is just, like, you know, dude in leather jacket. But even that, you can cosplay dude in leather jacket. 
Yeah, and even some like you know you got Drive and like Drive like the, mm-hmm. the guy in Drive has that what that jacket with the scorpion on it. It's a lot yeah. of like generic looking person, but they have one like article of clothing that kind of defines them. You know, yeah. like even if it's minimalist, it's like intentionally minimalist. I I yeah. I mean Georgie's got like kind of iconic shoes, and that yeah. was a big thing you saw it was like a th- there's these amazing photos of people at the first Marmocon, all these people cosplaying as Georgie in different mm-hmm. movies, all just like showing off their, their shoes, shoes and like these so low great. angles. Th- there's these really like artsy shots of like here's a photo of a bunch of people dressed as Georgie sitting on like a ledge and just it's a shot of all of their legs and feet dangling yes. off the ledge with all of them wearing the iconic shoes. And I think that's fucking cool. I think that's really fun. Hell yeah. But then you look at like Trekkies, you look at Star Trek people and you know, mm-hmm. you, all you need to do is like make one of those basic three colors of uh, mm-hmm. of, of outfit, the, the red, the green, or the yellow, or the red, mm-hmm. the blue, or the yellow, and you're good. Like you can get as simple or complicated with it. Mm-hmm. But with... with, with it's almost too innocuous in the case of the Marmoset Chronicles, and yeah. I think that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and it's, um, I guess just, like, early conventions in general are such a weird thing to kind of dive into, because so much of it, like, so much of it was communicated via, like, mailing lists and word of mouth. Sure, newsletters. Newsletters, just, and I guess, like, I, I am just too young to kind of fathom that as a concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, I was, uh, I'm, I just turned 23. I was born in 97. So even, like, as far as I remember, email was a thing. It wasn't a thing everybody had, but for as long as I remember, email's been a thing. Yep, yep. You and I have never really grown up. I, I'm, I'm too, I, I was born in 95. You and I were never really conscious of being aware of being, existing in a world without the internet. Like, I had dial-up. As a kid, that's about as far back as it goes. Um, we didn't have a computer in my house. Well, we had a we had my dad's work computer, but no one else was allowed to be on that. I, I don't really remember actively using computers until, like, late elementary school, early wow. middle school. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, I was also kind of a sheltered child. I think it's kind of hard to fathom now, like, living in the age that we do, like, how kind of niche and odd conventions were like nerd conventions were when they started being a thing yeah definitely i I mean you know (laughs) we live in an era and this has been something that's that's been only proven more in the last decade i i I hate when you hear someone say oh the nerds won but like that's kind of it right like all the pop culture that people back in those days the people going to the star trek conventions the people going to the star Mm -hmm. wars conventions the people going to the first comic-con the the things that made those people feel like social pariahs, you you still get in places. Like, you know, you, you walk into a crowd that doesn't give a shit about Final Fantasy and you start talking about how much you love Cloud and Aerith, and they'll still be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I'm one of those we people. Live in I a will world say, what the all fuck are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, you know, we, we still live in a world where we've had 50 years plus of cultural osmosis of nerd shit and the progenitors to that nerd shit. Yes. And it's kind of just everywhere. You know, like, comic books were a nerd thing once, once now everyone sees the Marvel movies. It, it, it's that yes. exact thing. And, you know, there there is definitely... There, there is also just, just there is definitely a difference between I think watching the Marvel movies and actively reading comics. Sure. Yeah. No. You're and right. that is definitely two different levels of consumption. I know one of the, the, 
I, this was a very, like, strange moment for me. This was a moment for me in college where I was talking to, because our, our, our college had a, co- a comic book club. Mm-hmm. And by the time that I was graduating, uh, you kind of missed this, Jay, but by the time I was graduating, I was talking to someone who actively went to the comic book club. And she's like, yeah, none of us really read comics. We all, like, watch all the shows and we watch the movies and we talk about those. And I had this moment where I was like, I kind of don't like that. Am I am I being an asshole gatekeeper that, like, I feel like if you're going to a comic book club, you should be reading comic books? If not, call it superhero club. Like... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think you're a gatekeeper for it. Like, I, I, I would agree. I, I think... I, I think just be honest with what your thing is, you know? Like, yeah. I, I would agree with you in the sense that, like, if you're just doing that, call it a pop culture club. Like... Yeah, or call, call but, it a superhero club. But if, if you're... Sure. If you want to... Get to like, cause I I, I I read I read a fair amount of comics. Um, yeah, and I but I never went to that club just cause I had people to uh, like I talked to like my friends about comics. I didn't need to go find people to talk about comics with. Yeah, but I feel like if I was like, oh, I want to go and uh, I want to go to like this 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 because I just read like like I just read Doomsday Clock which just finished coming out and I want to go mm-hmm. and talk to a bunch of people who also are keeping up with comics and you go in and they're all talking about the CW shows I think I would be like oh this kind of sucks yeah exactly like that's the kind of thing and I, I guess that that's a good point too you bring up a good point because I think that illustrates um the fact that there are still kind of levels to nerd them right so like yes. those CW shows and those Marvel movies and the Marmoset Chronicles have risen up to that mainstream level of recognition mm-hmm. and just mainstream cu- cultural osmosis, but stuff like the name you just said that I forgot already. <laughs> Case oh, in point, Doomsday Clock. That was a that Doomsday was a Clock DC mm-hmm. event that happened recently. It was pretty good. Okay, too. D- Doomsday Clock or uh, my favorite image comic, The Wicked and the Divine, or like even Saga, like the, Saga, or yeah. a lot of smaller comics or web comics. There's still. There's still tiers of obscurity that mm-hmm. do become a lot more niche. Like, yes. I one of my favorite graphic novels is a webcomic called Octopus Pie by Meredith Gran. It's, like, one of my favorite fictional works ever. Really guided me in a lot of spots in my life. Mm-hmm. Love it to pieces. It's a pretty fucking niche thing. Yeah. If I go into that club, no one's gonna know what the fuck I'm talking about, probably. They're just gonna yeah. be talking about, I don't know, The Flash. Yeah, and there's... Whatever that fast boy's up so to. So, there's definitely, like... Yes, there is, um... The nerds did kind of win, but I do think that... There, so, there are also levels of missing when nerddom wasn't cool. And there's the there's the level of that where you're an asshole. Where, like, you just don't like other people enjoying things that you like, or you think they're enjoying them wrong. Yeah. But Going I, back to the gatekeeping thing, yeah. Yes, but I think there's also a level of, like, missing the sense of community that liking something small brings you. I think that's a lot more sincere and a lot less assholey. Mm-hmm. Where or or like like um you know so the difference between going to to kind of bring this back to Marmacon, the difference between going to a convention that has 50 people from a mailing list on it and going yeah. to New York Comic Con. Yeah. Because there were if I remember correctly it has been it's been a long time since I read up on this. There were like there was like under 100 people at this first convention. I think it right? was like a hard 70 maybe. Yeah. Okay. It was not a ton. And it was, um, it was pretty successful, right? Like, yeah, it did all right. Like, there were a couple of vendors. Like, yeah, uh-huh. um, they had, obviously, Laz Patillo didn't show up, but they had, like, a, a, an assistant producer or someone there. Mm-hmm. And they had, um, 
in a subsequent year, they got the they got the guy who played Gene, and eventually they got the guy who played Georgie too. Uh, but that year they had like a producer and like a, a costume designer, and, yes. and you know it was a very small thing, but it was still these people who had been involved who got to like talk to these people about a facet mm-hmm. of how these movies were made, and, and and yeah, it definitely was popular, and it grew, it grew from there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it grew from that fifty, that seventy people to a few hundred by a few years in. Yeah, and these, and you know, I, I think it got up to uh, of like a few thousand by by the peak of it, which was sometime in the late nineties. Yeah, uh, maybe around like I think I think probably around ninety five, ninety seven. They they um, stopped they stopped doing that convention like like two thousand and three, right? I believe that's around correct. Yeah, and then yeah. And then it got like, and then you know people just started going to other conventions because at that point there exactly. were more general conventions. Exactly. Yeah. That by by that point you have a lot of those general conventions. You have your comic cons, your smaller regional comic cons. You're mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. You reach a point, and I think you and I both have come up in this era where conventions that used to be about specific topics are kind of just all about everything now. Like I I I had a. In Troy, near me, I had uh, Genericon, which was my first convention as a wee mm-hmm. 17-year-old, which was, like, ostensibly an anime convention first and foremost, and they had anime guests, mm-hmm. but you'd see video game stuff there, yeah. you'd see people cosplaying as Homestuck there, you'd see, you know, it, you'd see Doctor Who there, you'd, you'd uh-huh. see people kind of representing different facets of the nerd communities. Yeah. God knows Comic-Con. Have you ever been to New York Comic-Con, Kirsten, out of curiosity? Uh, I haven't, because uh, I've never I've never been to a convention before. Really? Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember if you had or not. No, That's fascinating. I and it's really just because I I every time I have a chance to go, I have to do something else. Um, I'd really like to go to a convention. I have like um, I have friends who go. Uh, I yeah. live at the moment. I live. Uh, very close to NYC, so uh, though I've been to, you, you if you I've been told if I'm gonna go to start going to conventions, I should not start with New York Comic Con. Uh, no, but, I. But yeah, you know, it, like I would go again. It wasn't really my favorite when I went. It was like fine. The what, what, the reason I brought it up though is like that's the perfect example where comic is in the name. Uh, I went in 2012, mm-hmm. and that year, and I was told a couple years before it, and several afterwards, everything was Walking Dead. Everything was The Walking Dead. My huh. pass had The Walking Dead on it. It had Mr. Rick Grimes' sheriff-y-ass face right there. And I'm Everything sure, was The, the Walking the walk- Dead branded... Walking Dead sorry. comics? Walk- or co- comics or oh, show. show? Show? Th- okay. this, this was like, uh, I don't know, 2012 would have been like season two or three of the show, probably. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was when it was blowing up. And I'm sure it's been like Game of Thrones for years now, probably, yeah. too. Um, you know, I did whatever the, the big thing of the era is. It's, and, you know, that that... That speaks to that sort of dissolution of cultural osmosis. It's like everything kind of meshes together into one big cultural hodgepodge. But yeah, I I think that's fascinating. And I I think, you know, for for all, there were great experiences I had at those bigger conventions and I've had at other bigger conventions. But I've I've gone to quite a few. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something that sounds kind of nice about going to something like that where you know it's for this one very specific thing. And every everyone there is gathering for this one specific thing, even yes. more so than you know a comic con or a PAX or well, whatever else. I remember because uh, I, I this is something I, I always remember reading about with the mar the first couple mar marmacons was that they so much of it were were literal roundtables. Yeah, it was literally like people would sit in with like 
sit like crisscross applesauce on the floor or they'd commandeer some tables and they'd mm-hmm. uh, and everyone would sit down and people would just kind of talk to each other and there would be someone kind of leading the panel quote unquote kind of moderating who, it yeah um but a lot of it was just kind of people sitting down and talking to each other about these movies which you know honestly like it's it's 1986 where else are you going to do that you can't go to a forum right Fa- you can't fan- go argue with Glass Eye about it. Yet. Oh God! And, and you know the and this is the era. This is the era of like fanzines. So maybe you you, if you were very very dedicated, you can type up an essay and send it to a fanzine. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. But no, like so, and I think that's great. That so much of it is really just like people sitting down and just talking about this thing that they both like. That everybody sure. likes, and I, I, I think that is a that is something I think that it, that like you said is kind of you kind of miss out on on the the bigger conventions. It's the same with it's it's like this is kind of a weird parallel to draw. Have you ever waited on a very long line to see a concert? Sure. Yeah. That the people you are sitting around to see that concert with are your best friends for the day. That's very true. I I, I have done that for some nerdy ass concerts. I did that for Coheed and Cambria. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you are absolutely right. But but yeah, that, that round table thing you mentioned is interesting. I just want like like that is something that does happen at conventions. One one of my favorites that I do I've gone to for the last couple of years is um Magfest in Maryland. Okay. At, like right around New Year's it happens every year. And that one has like smaller quote-unquote panels than our roundtables. I went to one uh-huh. this last year that was a uh, a roundtable just about, like, I-, I think it was kind of just about, like, freelance writing and, like, finding your voice as a writer on the mm-hmm. internet and self-promotion and stuff. And it was oh, a roundtable. Awesome. It was, like, real. They're always, they're always very early in the morning, usually the day after, like, a big concert. So at that convention, I saw the proto-men, stayed up until 3 a.m., got copiously drunk, then uh-huh. woke up at 9 a.m., drank a bunch of coffee, and went to this thing to talk to 12 other people in a small, quiet room, sitting in a circle. We had chairs, by the way. Okay. No crisscross applesauce. But sitting in a circle, just, like, talking about writing and stuff. And yeah, it, that's it's like, awesome. You still do get those kinds of let's gather everyone of a certain culture together in one room experiences at these conventions. And it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear you bring that up with, with Marmacon because you're absolutely right. They yeah. start at places like that. Yes. And it's, it's just, yeah. And it, this is also a weird anecdote to bring up because you, you brought up game of Thrones before, which made me think of something oh kind of weird, which uh-huh. is that like, so I, my media consumption is kind of strange. So sometimes I miss things. And for the mm. past five or six years, I've had the singular experience of being, like, the only person who... I, I just totally missed Game of Thrones. And I... And at the at, at some point, I realized that I, I had kind of missed Game of Thrones, and I made the active decision that I never... That I did not want to consume any Game of Thrones media. So here I am in the year 2020, and I know very, very little about... About it, about the actual story. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I've watched. I see like people reacting to it. I see people talking about it. I, I know some stuff about it because I exist in the world. Sure, um, yeah, you but, don't live in a bubble. But I like. I, I feel like there aren't. I feel like there aren't many people who have this particular uh, experience of watching Game of Thrones happen and not participating yeah. in it. No, I, I'm kind of with you. I read the first book back in, like, 2013. Other than that, I, I, I have never engaged with it at all. I've, I've tried the show once and didn't give a shit. Um, so, no, I, I think you and I are kind of in the same camp on that uh-huh. one. I've, I've been, I've been in that camp with it with a few things for sure. Um, 
The Fast and the Furious franchise is honestly a big one for me. I have suddenly, I've somehow perpetually missed that entire phenomenon and missed uh-huh. it getting big. And then in the last like two years, I noticed that everyone loves it. And I was like, what, how did this happen? It, it, it's a very strange thing to, to experience. I'm sure some people probably do with the Marmoset Chronicles even. Yeah. As crazy as that may seem to say. Yeah, that which seems weird to me, but I'm sure to people who really like Game of Thrones, the fact that I, I've, when I say literally zero Game of Thrones media consumption, I mean that I have, I've read none of the books, I've watched none of the shows, uh, I, I have not played Game of Thrones Monopoly, like, <laughs> uh, just- Whoa, you haven't? Dude, it's like the best game, it's like the best version of Monopoly! Fuck off. It's the best one! All versions of Monopoly suck. That's true. But- You're just right. Yes, but that's what you don't get in a small convention like this. So, mm. what what else did you... I feel like we kind of have talked about conventions and a little bit about Marmacon. What did you want to talk about in particular with this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've touched on some interesting stuff. Like, I, I, I wanted to bring it up because I, I love that it is this tiny thing that this married couple who are just giant fans of the series created. Uh-huh. They uh, they also have, like, one of the world's largest collections of Marmoset Chronicles merchandise. Their house... Uh, in, uh, I forget where in New Jersey, somewhere in New Jersey, has been, like, turned into a museum, um, because they've since passed away, unfortunately, but their kids turned it into a Marmoset Chronicles merchandise museum, just because they had so much shit. Oh Um, my god! I read about that in Weird New Jersey books! (laughs) How many Weird New Jersey books do you have? Is this a thing? How many do I have, or how many have I read? I, either or, I suppose. I own one Weird New Jersey book. Okay. I've read upwards of four. All right, cool. <laughs> that just amuses me that those have exist, you, but of course they do. What? Um, wait, 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 wait. Have you never read Weird New Jersey books? Am I, is this, is this a, is this a regional phenomenon? Do people I, outside I, of New Jersey and the part of New York that immediately borders New Jersey not read near, Weird New Jersey books? It is, let me be clear. Is this a, a just like various books that are about how New Jersey's weird, or is this a branded series of books titled Weird New Jersey? It is Jersey? a branded series of books called Weird New Jersey, Weird NJ. I've never heard of this in my life. Oh my god. Dear listeners, weigh in. Are you familiar with Weird New Jersey, and have you uh, browsed its Weird and New Jersey in pages? Huh, okay. Uh, you just blew my mind a little bit there. But yeah, uh, the- they turned their house into a museum, and it's really cool. <laughs> Yeah. For for anyone wondering uh, how big the divide between upstate and downstate New York is, you just got a prime example that I had no idea what the fuck Kirsten was yeah. talking about. Uh, I live incredibly close to New Jersey, uh, to the point where I I kind of have a little bit of Jersey in the way I talk. I can see that. Now that uh, you say that, I can totally see that. Yeah, because a lot of my like preschool teachers were from New Jersey. But, um, sure, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, like, like, sorry, we keep we keep getting distracted in very amusing ways on this one. I, yeah, it's all that stuff. It's the cultural stuff around it. I feel like um, into the '90s and stuff. This convention actually like helped blossom a lot of really good artists. And you mentioned zines earlier. That's the other thing. Um, there were some really cool zines that came out of this convention. Okay. In uh, in like the early '90s into mid '90s of just like artists and fanfic writers mm-hmm. who would write their own like stories or just create their own art. There was um there was this one person who um I, I think they went by Sombrous Spindle on uh, some early internet forums and stuff, and they just did like really cool interpretive artwork, sort of based on all the. Uh, 
the visuals in the Purgatory Bureaucrat and uh-huh. the horror and everything. Yeah. And it was just a lot of like sort of creepy pop proto creepy pasta looking art that was really yeah. cool. And like I, I don't know much this is the thing I just don't know is much about like the history of artist alleys at conventions. Because like I, I know you haven't been to one, but my favorite thing at any convention I go to is going to like the artist alley space or the, you know, independent creator space where just artists, uh, sculptors, whatever, have just taken out booths to sell prints of their art or stuff they've made, uh, or, you know, <laughs> pillows that look like anime characters, whatever yeah. your shit is. And, um, you know, I, I've, th- I mentioned Magfest earlier. I've bought everything from posters to possibly illegal ROM hack carts of Game Boy Advance games there. And it's just really cool seeing what those people make. And Marmocon was actually kind of on the forefront of giving those people a space. Yes. Um, it, it was it was one of the first ones to say, hey, we have people, you know, who are creating a lot of really cool art out of this thing that doesn't necessarily inherently have the most... Like, you know, it does, but it didn't have the most at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, you know... You look at Star Wars and you go, oh, I could draw a Jedi doing cool shit all day on wild planets. Like, they yes. establish, here's the cool things you can draw endless iterations of. Um, Star Trek, you know, same thing. You can draw mm-hmm. like, cool stuff on happening on different planets. Yes. The Marvel Set Chronicles is just weird enough that it's a little harder to figure that out. But people did it. Yeah. People made really cool just art based on these stories and based on their own stories. Uh-huh. And it sold and did well. Um and I, I think that's really interesting that those people got places to celebrate that art at Little Old Marmacon in New Jersey. Yes, yes. That's another reason I want to go to, um, I want to get to a, vet, a convention eventually, because I, it is such a good place to, to support people who do that kind of, that kind of work, which, yeah. uh... Always good to support people like that. Support artists, guys. Artists support artists. There's just there's so much to be said about like early fan communities and the yeah the, we and okay so th- this is I know we've talked about the Star Trek Star Wars divide for a while we we've brought sure. this up a couple times and I don't know if I brought this up before but part of the big divide in the early days of the fandom. Less so now, I feel like, I, I though I don't really know, I don't really actively participate in Star Wars fan culture, because I, I uh, from what I've seen, it's pretty toxic. Um, oh, it's horribly toxic. But the thing Never was, engage with it. When I was, what, what, in these early fan communities, Star Trek fandom was a lot more built around women. Sure. Yeah, no, that's extremely um, true, actually. A lot of like a lot of the um, a Maybe lot of the early fanzines were run by by women by like mm-hmm. young single women and older women and uh, the uh, so you know the the term a Mary Sue mm-hmm. that comes from a satirical Star Wars fan fiction written by a woman. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and the character the character is supposed to be like making fun of self insert characters. That's that's why people adopted. The, that phrase is because, because you know, woman did such a good job of like creating this like prototypical self-insert fit character that hmm. it caught on. Um, but yes, I, I, I am about ninety-five percent certain that that was that 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 story was written by a woman. Uh, let me let me find. 
I don't want to just not. I don't want to say that then not say who it is. Hold on a second. That's fair. Yeah. Let me look it. this up. Her, her, her uh, Paula Smith, created by uh, a woman named Paula Smith. All right. Huh. Um, and uh, yes, it was in her uh, parody story published in 1970, uh, 1973. But yes, it's uh, so yes, there was definitely, uh, from what I understand, I was not there. Uh, there was definitely a gender divide where, like, you know, there was a there were way more women in Star Trek fandom, active in Star Trek fandom. I'm sure there was just as many women who liked Star Wars, but not, we didn't. Those voices were not as heard. We're not heard as much. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have a lot more gatekeepy people telling them the story wasn't really for them or not about them. Like, you know, Luke Skywalker's my big strong friend, not yours. <laughs> Is that what Star Wars fans are like? Kinda. <laughs> I mean, listen, when The Last Jedi came out, it sure fucking was. Then it was them screaming at the director of The Last Jedi, saying, Luke Skywalker is my big special friend, and he wouldn't do what you wrote him doing 40 years after I saw him last. There have been so many episodes of this podcast where I have, like, edged, devolving into a rant about why The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie, and I've just, like, backed away every time. One day I'm just gonna break and do a whole one and leave it all in. Um, and that will be the last episode of this podcast. I've never seen that movie. And, but what I was trying, what I'm trying to get at is that yeah. Mar the Marmoset Chronicles did not really have that divide. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Um, yeah, which is, you know, like, it, you know, it is in some ways a masculine-centric story. But yeah, like, like, it had a pretty, like, equal realm of male and female fans, it seemed like. And it, it's interesting to see that, yeah. Yeah, uh, which I think is neat, and uh, I I like that this like that this was like th this seems like well, at least all of our records of it seems like that these conventions were very like welcoming places and you know roundtables and people talking about stuff and really kind of grew this like Marmoset Chronicles fan base, which I I, I think that this. The Marmoset Chronicles fan base has grown so, so organically over the years because there's never been a reboot. And yeah, right. there, there's been, like, resurgences in interest in the movies, but but just because people keep kind of stumbling over them. Yeah, yeah, or, or like, someone mentions them on, like, a talk show or something. Like, yeah, it's often, it's often pretty coincidental. Yeah, the, the, on the, the topic of women being welcome in those spaces, the Marmoset Chronicle, some conversations, from what I know from, like, historical... Historical records, I say, as if this is a battle in Rome, you know. But you know, historic the, the sacred texts tell me that uh, at these early conventions, th there were like panels about feminist readings of these movies, yeah. and those were some of the first spaces that pop culture movies of the '80s really had a lot of people talking about. You know, like what you'd I guess call pretty early feminist readings of them, like uh -huh. not not you know, early in the sense of like. There weren't a lot of people talking about Star Wars in that way in the 80s, or, you know, Jurassic Park in the 90s. Like, those conversations were still a ways off, and now we have a lot more of those coming up. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 the, and the aftermath of them in terms of how the movie sphere changes. But yes. a lot of those early ones, like, I think more people went on to talk, from, from what I understand, talking to people a lot older than either of us, it sounds like a lot of feminist critiques of other media like that, both before and after happened because ones of the Marmoset Chronicles were able to happen in yes. those spaces. And I, I think that's really interesting. And I also think it reflects interestingly on the way those movies are written. Yes, and also that, like, 
Uh, and we've talked about how kind of the fandom for these movies were different than the other, like, kind of hyper-nerd fandoms. Yeah. Well, and I think that is because they're less escapist than a lot of other kind of hyper-nerd fandom stuff is. Well, because the movies are less escapist than a lot yes. of those movies are, for No, sure. that's what that's what I mean. Because, like, yeah. you know, I, I can see how you could get if... It, you're like you're like why are you putting real life in my escapist fiction? Right. Which I think I think that does a, uh, account for a lot of the backlash people sometimes receive for heavily putting like heavy like feminist or um uh or race based or um gender or just LGBT anything. Or, yes, having, or having any character who is gay or trans in anything ever. Well, no, not so much that. Uh not like not like something that has that kind of character, but, like, taking something like the first Star Wars movie and then reading it under a really heavy feminist critique. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I see what you're saying. So, uh, yeah, no, like, characters that are in something that are X, Y, or Z, that is, I think, a different conversation, but, like, taking, like, something like the first Star Star Wars movies and reading it under a heavy feminist critique or a heavy race-based critique... And I, so, and I think a lot of the backlash people get from that are like, I read, I, I, this is a world I go to, so I don't need to think about real life problems. Why are you putting real life problems in my escapism? Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm just huh. going to say those two words and leave it at that. Well, one other topic I did want to touch on, if we can, that I think is interesting yes. is, you know, we mentioned how early on a couple producers and, and costume people came to these conventions as guests mm-hmm. and later actors did. This, Marmacon, interestingly enough, there was a period of time, again, you know, late 80s into the early 90s, mm-hmm. once the, you know, final press tour for the plot of the paper and the place we end, end up had ended, mm-hmm. these conventions were the main places where you would see people from the production of those movies talking about their careers at all for a little bit. Like, huh, yeah, okay. And, and, and I think that's really fascinating. Like, once this got going, I think... One of the reasons these th- that Marmacon got as big as it did was that what well, what's interesting is that this convention grew in part because it got these bigger and bigger guests from the production of these movies. And I think, and a couple of them have come out about this, these guests liked supporting it. Like it wasn't just, uh-huh. oh, it's a gig, pay me whatever fee, and I'll show up and sign people stuff. Like no, it was like that. You know, B- Benjamin St. James and some other actors like came to it because they really liked the community. They li- mm-hmm. like some of them are on record as making friends with fans at those conventions yeah. and like having lasting relationships with them. Ooh, fuck, who was it? Um the ag- the the actor who voices the horror, uh who I believe is a man named uh just named Murray Johnson, very very generic person name enough that it took me to even fucking remember it. Uh Murray Johnson met his wife there. The, the year he guessed it there. He met the woman Aww. he ended up... Or his second wife. He's an older man. Yeah, he met his second wife there. Um, and I'm, I just think that's very special and sweet. I'm going to choose to go, aw, and not be like, is that creepy? Because... No. It, no, they, they got married. It's not creepy. No, not not at all. And then, you know, they, they were they were both consenting adults, I think, in, like, a similar age range, if that's something that matters to you over overly much. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it was a good thing. And it was because, like... These were, you know, not all of them, but some of them, like, I don't think Benjamin St. James did this, but some of them would, like, 
participate in other panels outside yeah. of just being the guest. Like, especially the smaller people, especially, like, when they would get bit actors or the couple stunt actors they would get. Um, Benjamin St. James's stunt double fucking loved that convention. He yes. actually, like, moderated some roundtables in later years because he liked being there. Well, and I, I think you have, like, a really... I, I think it says a lot that this was all happening as Laz Patillo had vanished from the spotlight. Yes. Like, I, I, you know, we don't know if he was in the U.S. still at this point or he, if he had already left the country to wherever else at this point. But you saw members of his crew mm-hmm. from his movies kind of find a new surrogate community in these conventions based yeah. around the movies they'd worked on. And I just think that's, that is fascinating in a way I don't think has really ever happened with any other equivalent conventions or fan no, communities. Not, not the kind of, like, active participant from just, like, crew members, or at least not in, like, a constructive way. I, I, I can think of some shows that had some, like, problems with, you know, like, people who worked on the show, like, leaking stuff to fans. Sure. Um, if, I, if I remember correctly, I believe the, the Hannibal TV show had a lot of problems with that. That like, everyone... that's one that com- that's one that completely passed me by. But I believe me you. too. I've never seen that show, though. Apparently, some really weird shit went down in that particular fan community. Uh, I just kind of remember watching it from a distance, like, "What the fuck is going on over there?" And then <laughs> being like, "I want no part of it." Um, but and I and it might be because like. Laz Batillo was such this like monstrosity of a personality, and then he just totally vanished out of nowhere. So yeah. it left this, like, void that had to be filled. And it's cool because the fan base filled it. And That's really beautiful. And, and really, like, kind of, like, positive voices filled it. And, you know, it didn't, it wasn't like, because very easily this could be, this could be a story where it's like, all right, so, like, Benjamin St. James uh, filled it and kind of didn't say anything and made some weird comments and then everyone realized he was a jerk and now nobody likes the Marmoset Chronicles ever. Right, but, yeah. You know, the, the the 90s equivalent of someone went there and got canceled live on stage. Yes. That did that did not happen really. No, but it, it and it and um just what a what a kind of cool exercise in community building. And I would have loved to yeah. like I would love to be like a fly on the wall at those like uh, any of those early conventions cuz there were so many of them and they were all so little and weird. And yeah stuff. You you talk about community building and it's it's so interesting because we we've talked before about how much the crew of these movies was kind of a community, mm-hmm. right? Like we we know how much they personally cared about and supported Laz. Um you know, when it comes down to the breakdowns on set, how, you know, what they would and wouldn't talk about about his life, like they were a family. They were kind of his family, it seemed like. It really seemed like. And you know, to, to like whether there was an unhealthy degree of loyalty behind the scenes, who's to say? Whether there was, you know, may- there, there's been a lot of theories. Maybe there was some level of abusive behavior on someone's end. Who's, or maybe there wasn't. Who's to say? But, but like, it's just so fascinating. It, it's like a breakup. It's like trying to fill the hole after a breakup from a really long relationship. It's like you break up with someone, they move all their furniture out when they move out, and you're like, I have all these physical holes in my room now. What, what do I fill them with? And for these people, yeah, exactly like you say, it was it was filling that community yeah. hole, and and that's how they did that. And just because you just said this, like the, about the cast being really close, which makes that 
that one book way worse and more painful. Oh. I I think we should do an episode on that at some point. Maybe we can talk about that off the air. Ooh. Or at least about like memoirs and that kind of thing. About yeah. the production of these movies. I, I I think that deserves its own conversation. But yeah. yes. I won't, absolutely though. I won't but you know exactly which which book I'm talking about too, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm aware of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I've read it. I shouldn't say I'm just aware, but I've read the damn yeah. thing. And yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think the testimonies from the people who decide to write those public testimonies later are definitely worth talking about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I think, like, that's, it's so interesting. Like, and the fans are that way too, kind of, you know? And I think that comes from the idea of sometimes creating an unhealthy relationship with an artist's work, or maybe not unhealthy. Like, if you watch a series of movies and create a deep bond with them because they get you through some hard times, I don't think that's unhealthy. No. Um, but, like, it, you know, these were a lot of the people at these early conventions were the people the most emotionally invested in these movies. Yes. Like, at those early conventions, the first couple of Marmocons, you had a few people flying in from California. Yeah. Or from, like, driving in from Canada. Or, like, one or two from the UK, probably. Yeah. Because those were the people who were the most defined by that. And, and so those fans and those crew members and actors were kind of... Like, siblings, in a way. Like, yeah. estranged siblings from different sides of a family. And they really, like... This is where, this is where like, you know, people make friends and people make connections. And this is the yep. great thing about media and really about, I think, fandom. This is, like, kind of the best that fandom can be. Is, like, when it's a place where people can genuinely connect with each other and sort of use that piece of media to build a genuine human connection. Um... Mm. And I think that is where a lot of, like, you know, bad movie interpretations of nerds fuck up. Oh, sure. Because most nerds I know just want to find people who want to talk about the same shit they want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. And that's that's really the... And, and, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's why the nerds won. Because the internet gave you a place to talk about all the things that you want to talk about. Yeah, exactly. That and, was, like... No, keep going, sorry. And, and now, like, because I'm sure even the most unnerdy person has some fucking thing that they like way too much that they want to talk way too much about. You know what's a very nerdy thing that everyone's like, this is normal, but it, this sounds like, it sounds like the nerdiest thing ever. Any sort of fantasy sports team. Sure, yeah. I was going to say that or just like wrestling in general. Uh, I think, I think it has been accepted that wrestling is nerdy. I think yeah, wrestling no, is now right. part of nerd fandom. Yeah, no, uh, you're right. I don't pretend to understand wrestling, but I do respect it. Um, same. No, exactly the same, yeah. Um, but, so, yes, the nerds did win. Congratulations! Um, Here's your medal. The, 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 the nerds did win, but, uh, and, and, you know, there's, I think there are some bad things about the nerds winning, but... yeah. The, the the nerds won, but now we can all we all have places to talk about the things that we like. And isn't that great? Isn't it great that you can like talk about find people to talk about the things that you like? Yeah, it's exclusively good and never has backlash or backfires well, or creates toxic communities around anything. How I don't even know how it would do that. No, of can you imagine not. a toxic community on the internet? Well, about media. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that, but there's also like. You know, I finished, like, a couple years ago, I read House of Leaves. Have you ever read House of sure. Leaves? 
I, I, no, I have leafed Tish through it, but I have not actually read it. Uh, I would, you know, it's worth a shot to try to read it. <laughs> you might find it's just not for you, and in that case, it's just not for you. But, um, I have read House of Leaves, and when I finished it, I was just like, my mind was blown in such a way that I was like, I need to, like, find someone to talk about this about immediately. Uh, and I found the subreddit for it. And, uh, it's not a super active subreddit, because it's a book, um... Right, yeah. But I was, it's like... It's mostly, like, fan art, or probably not for that one. No, not yeah, even fan... Oh, you know, yeah. most of it for House of Lease is discussion questions, and people being like, so what the fuck happened? Uh, <laughs> and I was able to be like, so this is my take on it, and then have, like, a conversation with someone about it, which is all I wanted. Yeah. Yeah, so, that, that's all you want. Like, that's, you know... So, nerd culture is just culture, and it's it's it's... Yeah. So for, for every terrible toxic community that exists, and many, so many of them exist, uh, mm-hmm. it's also pretty, it can also be, if you, you know, navigate around them and don't interact with them and just sort of find those genuine human connections and talk about things you like, that is beautiful and wonderful, and some of that comes from Marmacon. Yeah, and that's fucking beautiful. And that's really nice. Speaking of toxic communities, Kirsten, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kirsten M. Writes. Uh, I don't post very much on Twitter because Twitter, it kind of exhausts me socially. Uh, because it's one of those toxic communities. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to make it a little bit, I'm trying to engage a little bit more. We'll see if I stick with that. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Kirsten Meehan Writes, where I talk some about poetry and books, and, uh, it's a little bit more structured than my void screams on Twitter. Hey, Jay, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Extreme Salsa-ing, uh, where today you would have just seen a bunch of disparate tweets about the PS5 reveal, because that's who I am as a man. Um, you can also find me on Letterboxd, writing some movie reviews when I feel like it, also at Extreme Salsa-ing. Uh, and you can find me on YouTube at Hi, I'm Jay. I think, is that everything I do? Yeah. I don't know why, like, it's not a long list. Why can I never just, like, be like, ah, yes, these are my things. Uh, also, we are on the Orange Grows Podcast Network, as we always are. Uh, you can join us in a lot of discussions about these movies and about the other lovely podcasts on the network by going to the Orange Groves on Discord. It's a great place. If you want to support this show and other shows on the network, we have a Patreon on the Orange Groves. Also, this week, I am going to, in the show notes, put a giant active working list of, um... Ch- charities and places you can donate to support groups that are helping people in the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, whether it's bail funds or, you know, petitions you can sign to help solve cases that have gone cold because of police departments being negligent. Uh, there's a lot of awful and tumultuous stuff in the world right now, but also a lot of incredible people moving incredibly strongly against it. And, you know, do what you can. Uh, yes, and... Donate if you can. Uh, spread words of donations if you can't donate. Because uh, sometimes you just can't donate, and that's also fine. And take care of each other, and take care of your friends and family and communities, your community and ones that need you. And uh, maybe one day it, things will feel better. <laughs> and if you ever see Kirsten at a convention... Come up to her and say congrats. It might be her first one. Yes. Bye, guys.
Welcome to They Them Theirs, a monthly non-binary discussion podcast. We're here, we're queer, let's talk about it. My name is Joe. And my name is Rain. We're non-binary, and once a month we sit down and we talk about gender. 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 (laughs) We talk about our experiences with gender expression, pronouns, and other parts of the trans and non-binary experience. We also talk about a lot of anime and music that we like and relate to. And our cats. Yeah. (laughs) You can listen at theorangegroves.com or search They Them Theirs on your podcast app of choice. Until next time, take care, and remember, nice gender.